Welcome to episode number 56 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We're recording on February 23rd, 2020. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got in preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events, such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and to be able to better look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Well, my name is Ian, and I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. I also decided that since I have a face made for radio, I thought I'd focus on the subject matter with the camera today. <laughs> Chicken. <laughs> Uh, I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. As first responder, I see the benefit of preparing preparation or reaction to emergencies. I teach first aid and coach my family and friends to be better prepared. A locksmith by trade, I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. Hello, my name is Tyler, and I'm broadcasting from my five-acre homestead here in northwestern Wisconsin, USA. I grew up on a hobby farm, raising a wide variety of livestock, and have good background knowledge in the field of agriculture. Since purchasing my first house, I've been working to turn my property into a self-sufficient homestead with an emphasis on preparedness. Hey, if you want to help uh, support the show and keep the uh, Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, you can buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at prepperpodcast.ca. All the proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. All right, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Canadian Prepper Podcast and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad or even if it's just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Even if it's just a two-star. <laughs> we'll get there later in the show. Uh, so we've got some uh, clucked-up content for you in this episode. <laughs> I think that's I'm the sorry. worst one yet. Uh, terrible. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Ian. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just going to check the explicit box now for iTunes. When it comes to dad jokes, I have zero clucks given, man. <laughs> uh, Wow. I, two <laughs> cluck jokes in under five seconds. Jeez. <laughs> we're going to start off with uh, some preparedness-related news articles. Next, we're going to be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness uh, since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic of this episode, uh, poultry in preparedness. So let's move into some news. Oh, sorry. I just did something weird to my screen, and now I can't see anything. Hang on. Oh. Maybe skip me. All right. Uh, no, there we go. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. All right. uh, so Ontario, um, this link actually comes from the government of Ontario website. Um, an additional case of super disgusting coronavirus COVID-19 has been confirmed in Toronto. A uh, patient had recently re uh, returned from China, was likely not contagious when they landed, and has been in isolation ever since. So it sounds like it's uh, still well contained and it's not spreading domestically at this point, which is good. Um I'll put a few things in here. Apparently, I was on a bit of a tear this afternoon uh, in something that should shock no one. The government messed up on the new license plates, which cannot be read in low light conditions. Uh, it's going to take uh, the 3M Corporation, who won the bid for the license plates, likely the low bid, just throwing it out there, some time to rebuild uh, another quarter million plates and redistribute them. In the meantime, 407 cameras and red light cameras uh, toll road cameras cannot read those license plates at night uh, as well as them just being generally illegible uh, which police don't really care for so I should go and get new plates now and so then before just spend as much time driving across the 407 <laughs> and running red lights as you can well it also tells me they should go back to letting prisoners make them because it's not only yeah. cheaper but they make better product <laughs> funny yeah. enough don't fix it if it ain't broke that's right um, 
Another article here, a couple of off-duty cops foiled a robbery. They were uh, out for a date night. Somebody came in, uh, went to the register with uh, with a gun. The two cops drew. Um, bad guy dropped the gun and ran off, and then they chased him down, detained him, and then went back and ate their pie. So once again, good guys with guns defeat bad guys with guns, but uh, NPR kind of um, spins a little bit differently. Nice. So that's uh, that's what I got for t- for this week. All right. Well, I made a bet with somebody that I wouldn't talk about coronavirus tonight, so I decided to talk about everything but. So uh, yeah. So uh, bird flu in Hubei province. So same place as the the outbreak of the coronavirus, uh, you know, central type of thing. They've actually had a really bad run of bird flu as well because they just haven't had enough bad luck. So um, they've got actually about an 80-90% death rate when they get an infection in their their poultry farms. They just end up culling all the chickens. So they decided, uh, I guess, just, you know, to create a radius around each farm that's got a problem, and they're having real problems maintaining poultry farms around the same province. And if that wasn't bad enough, for about the last six months, they've had basically what they call pig Ebola. It's uh, swine flu, African swine flu, I think. But uh, because China has 60% of the world's pigs, uh, as far as uh, produce goes, and they've lost most of them, uh, a quarter of the world's pigs have gone and died on us. Um, oh, thanks to the uh, price of bacon. Yeah, so the uh, there is going to be a pork shortage, and it's so bad that the U.S. even decided to drop the tariffs and drop the trade war for pork products, and uh, basically gave China a bunch of pork to like kind of stave off extreme shortages there. Hmm. So. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, that, you know you know it's bad when old Donald's giving him a giving him a bit of a break when it comes to a business deal, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, it's actually that is it, true. It's a big thing. So yeah, a quarter of the world's pigs have died in the last uh, six months. Wow, I guess oh. that that really brings it back to the point that you know bacon is universal. It doesn't matter how mad you are if you present somebody with bacon, you're going to be okay. <laughs> and you, maybe it's it's a little olive branch of friendship, right? Here's some bacon. Yeah, yeah. and then of course. Yeah, so just like uh, last November when they had the CN rail, rail strike, now we've got, of course, the blockades happening that are blocking the rail lines. And, uh, yeah, lo and behold, critical propane shortage in Quebec and east of Quebec as well. Mm. Um, they're actually on propane rationing again, uh, limiting it to hospitals, uh, agriculture, uh, animal farming, everything else. Uh, basically, everything else is, everybody else is out of luck. So if you don't have a couple of bottles of propane, you're, you're not going to get any. Thanks. So yes, they figure they've got a four-day supply left now. Oh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, I, I, just, I can't. Well, a lot of people uh, in Nova Scotia use propane to heat their house, right? So that's a bit. I was just going to ask back to you too. Yeah. yeah. So that's that. <laughs> I'm I'm almost as upset about that as I am about the uh, the Toronto Carolina hockey game last night. Oh, but <laughs> okay. that's so not overly upset. No, I, <laughs> are you surprised? I've, I've been I've been prohibited from watching hockey for the next couple of weeks until I, I calm down a bit. Wait a minute, Toronto has a hockey team? No, no, apparently they don't. Oh, okay, it's actually a well-known fact that they don't. But <laughs> yeah. Anyways, All right. so I've got uh, well, it's a coronavirus-based article, but. Uh, I thought it was appropriate for this uh, this episode because it's uh, Nebraska doctors are providing coronavirus patients with chicken soup and Tylenol. So basically manage your <laughs> symptoms and stay away. Here's here's your chicken noodle soup and your Tylenol and uh, carry on. So I mean, uh, you're yeah. at least fluffing a pillow too, right? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, is there yeah. a benefit to homemade? Like, is, is homemade chicken soup better with homemade chickens? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, there's bone broth involved. There's all sorts of uh, nutrients that don't get boiled out. 
mm-hmm. nothing in artificial for preservatives added, and so on and so on. There's there's a lot of benefits to homemade chicken stock. Hmm. It seems like the Absolutely. secret to coronavirus is chicken soup and Tylenol. So there we go. We solved it. <laughs> solved <Episode> it. So done. <laughs> Guys, you just need to get a, a literal boatload of chicken soup and universities. <laughs> and I've got another article here out of Sault Ste. Marie, uh, just in regards to uh, they were holding a, a community partners uh, emergency pre- preparedness uh, open house. Uh, it was scheduled for February 18th, but then uh, ironically was canceled due to weather. <laughs> so it has been rescheduled for February the 25th, but uh, it was kind of neat to see uh, an open house set up uh, out in Sault Ste. Marie area. It uh, looks like a bunch of uh, stakeholders and community partners are just uh, getting together and letting people come by and see what you need for emergency preparedness and to get yourself ready for 72 hours, if not a bit longer. And so it's kind of neat to see and a little ironic it was canceled because of weather, but it'll give us something to talk about. So <laughs> That reminds me of the time that I was going to go to the psychic convention, but it was postponed due to unforeseen circumstances. Oh, wow, but tonight. No, what, what is it with tonight? Jeez. Scotch. Scotch is what's with it tonight. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Tyler, you got a news article? Yeah, I just had an article from uh, Fox News. Just a quick update on the Virginia gunfight that was getting a lot of attention uh, just a few weeks, or maybe that was a couple months back now. Um, so the proposed assault weapons ban, which was one of several Virginia bills that prompted protests at the state capitol earlier this year, uh, ended in com- in committee this past Monday. So actually four Democrats broke ranks uh, with their party and helped reject the bill in a 10 to 5 vote. Uh, so that got sent back to the state's crime commission. So that's all I got. So that would have been 9 to 8. So it would have passed otherwise. That's uh, that's encouraging news. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Well, I do believe when they get voted in down the states, they, they swear to uphold the Constitution. And heaven forbid they actually like stuck to their oath. Yeah, yep, actually, and that was the, in that article, that's uh, one of the Democrats that voted against the bill was uh, being interviewed, and that's kind of basically exactly what he talked about, so nice to see there's still some rational thinking on that side as well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? Sure. Yeah. And what we've done lately for preps is brought to you by Super SE Straps at superessestraps.com. They make some pretty awesome stuff. Um, storage morale patches. So it ha- it's a little pouch that you can uh, you can put on your hat or your backpack or whatever and contains gear. Uh, durable and functional hanks and little mini survival packs. Everything's made to order. Uh, it's a, an American veteran-owned company, and they do some pretty cool stuff. So uh, head over there and say hello to Super SE Straps. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so for myself, uh, since the last episode in uh, consultation with Hughes, I ordered everything I needed to uh, distill water and essential oils. <laughs> so uh, everything should be arriving this week. And uh, yeah, I'm going to start out with some yeast and some sugar and um, see how that works. Well, I'll make sure you bring some distilled water down to TACOM, okay? Ah, I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, as for myself, uh, actually, while I was gone to work, the wife took up uh, the offer of one of our neighbors and learned how to chainsaw. So she uh, she, oh. she took uh, the chainsaw and the ch- safety chaps and the helmet and everything else and over there. It's it's much easier to learn from people that aren't your, your spouse when it comes Absolutely. to certain skills. Mm-hmm. Um, takes away the emotional aspect of it, and uh, she loved it. She uh, she was sitting there chopping up and bucking up wood all day, and she came back with uh, basically half a ton of uh, cedar. So. Awesome. By the time I finish splitting that with the uh, splitter, it'll be probably enough kindling to last for years because that stuff lights even when it's wet, right? Like it's Absolutely. fantastic it's stuff. Up. Yeah, so uh, that made some CGN deals uh, back and forth. I reloaded a bunch of uh, rounds because it's that season. 
went to the range, ground some more brass. I uh, was just finishing washing it up five minutes before the show started here. Made some uh, live chicken sales, uh, so some uh, laying birds to uh, some new chicken farmers that are just uh, moved to the island here about two weeks ago. And they want to get right going with the chickens, so we got them going as well. Um, Rust-proof some fuel tanks, and of course, I'm dealing with an influenza outbreak at home. Not the not the COVID-19 version, but just the regular version. And uh, yeah, I got uh, two kids basically laid flat right now, so hmm. and that's it. Well, as long as they're isolated and... That's Lots of uh, chicken noodle soup and Tylenol. Chicken noodle soup and Tylenol. That might bode not well for her, but, you know. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just cover your ears. It's okay. Yeah, she's not throwing around on you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't get a ton this week. I uh, get a ton done this week. I spent uh, every night this week out doing things, meetings, and training. Uh, I've got some forced lunch time coming up, which is always good to Oh, yeah. um, took the first few steps in getting my commercial truck license and I ordered a new forcible entry tool that I look forward to having this week coming in um, because I'm a tool nerd and I'm, I'm excited to, to make that one go. Nice. Okay. What tool is it? Uh, it is called the Tri-Blade. Uh, it's okay. actually made by a firefighter here in Ontario and um, from everything that I've seen, it looks, I mean, it looks really cool. Uh, it's fairly compact. It's not, um, not to take away from it at all. It's not, a, it's an earth shatteringly different tool. Uh, it's based on a design that has been in use within the fire service for many, many years where you take a, uh, take a framing square and cut it down to a specific size and a specific shape. And then it helps you, but this one's collapsible. Um, has a few more features built into it, like a uh, like a ten mil nut driver and an eight mil nut drivers for disconnecting batteries, for example, um, as well as uh, um, the ability to turn on and off oxygen bottles and shut off gas valves. So it's a pretty cool nice. tool. Uh, I'll talk with uh, talk with the the, the the guy and see if maybe we can do a review on on our show because it's not limited to the fire service. So I was going to say, sounds handy. It sounds like a really handy tool, and I'm looking forward to putting it into use and seeing how it goes. Nice. Good deal. Yeah, for me, so since the last podcast, uh, I think it was last weekend, I burned up a pretty good-sized brush pile I had accumulated from cutting firewood and and whatnot. Uh, I filed my 2019 tax return and did pretty well, uh, being that I got married last year, so that uh, that definitely helped with the return. And then uh, today we had some beautiful weather here, so I got uh, some range time in. Tested out two new rifles that I actually got uh, a couple months back now. Uh, they both worked great and took the time this afternoon to uh, learn how to tear those down and clean them after I was done shooting. So Nice. Nice. Right, let's move into the main topic. Take it away, uh, Tyler. So yeah, I'm here as a student. Uh, my uh, my better half and I are looking at uh, looking at bringing chickens in or rabbits in. Uh, probably not this year, but next year. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to hear what the what the pros have to say about it. I'm here as a student as well. Last time I remember doing anything with chickens was kindergarten when we hatched them, and that was uh, quite a number of years ago. So. Yeah. Where well, did you, so did I was... you hatch them from from hens or from roosters? <laughs> which came first the chicken or the egg oh mm. there's a debate on that yeah so uh i just wanted to start off i guess kind of just telling the audience my experience with poultry um so my parents started our hobby farm when i was three and uh, poultry was one of the first things we got uh so i raised that all the way up uh through i was through high school um we mainly raised a wide variety of chickens but also did ducks and pheasants and uh 
typically we had about 20 to 40 egg layers year round and we we used a coop and uh, we actually had three fully enclosed runs off of that coop and we were, that's how we were able to raise other breeds as well or other poultry as well um so yeah we'd, we'd have 20 to 40 egg layers year round we also did usually 30 or 40 meat birds in the summer um and then as, as when i was a kid i would sell those eggs and sometimes the meat for profit and also show them in 4-h at the county fair um so i've been been out of chickens uh since high school now so it's been about seven eight years but, um, ex- yeah yeah so uh but I'm excited to be bringing them on to the homestead this spring. Um, I'm planning to use a 10 by 14 shed and turn that into kind of a large poultry uh, poultry coop, I guess. Uh, I also want to do some rabbits. Um, so, yeah, I had quite a bit of time this morning and did, did a fair amount of research. And I think I've got kind of the, the steps that everyone should go through uh, before you get poultry and, and kind of the things to think about. Um, so for those of, those of you that know nothing about raising chickens, there's a few things that you got to consider uh, first off. Um, the first thing, you got to have some outdoor space in which to raise those chickens. Um, kind of the average I found through my research was that one medium-sized chicken is going to require about three to four square feet of space inside the coop and then about eight to ten feet uh, square feet outside the coop. So to put that in perspective, uh, a four-foot by eight-foot coop with a ten-foot by ten-foot fence run is enough to raise about 10 chickens. So even if you're uh, in, in a city lot or you've got a very small backyard, um, it's definitely capable to raise some birds. Um, obviously, the more space you have, the happier chickens are probably going to be. Uh, they're going to pr- produce better, and they're going to they're gonna live under better conditions as well. Well, also, so they, so won't, many... they won't fight amongst themselves either, right? Because if, if they're crowded in, during bad weather or whatever they'll they'll start getting you know stir crazy and yeah you don't want absolutely them to... and that's that's one big thing with chickens is they do fight amongst each other so the more room you can have for them the better but uh, like I said it is possible with just a small amount of room to raise a few birds absolutely um, so the next step to be to do would be check with your local town or I guess uh, I'm not sure how that works in Canada is that based on province or it's actually municipal for most of the part it's uh, okay town by town so. Gotcha. So regardless, check your local ordinances. Make sure that you can actually have chicken or see if there's a number. I'm not going to tell you to go against those ordinances, but uh, I'm telling you if you have egg-laying chickens and you don't have any roosters that are making a ton of noise, maybe share a dozen with uh, the neighbors every week or two, and you're probably not going to have any problems. I think everyone could get away with raising a few chickens. Actually, it's interesting because around here, it's uh, there's a quota system for uh, poultry production, for egg production. And okay. basically, if you keep it under 99 laying hens, uh, you're okay, uh, which okay. you'll never need that many. But, but the, the funny thing is it doesn't count roosters and it doesn't count showbirds. So you could literally have 10,000 showbirds in your backyard. And as long as you're not right. stealing the eggs from them, you're okay. <laughs> Found the loophole then. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's kind of funny. But yeah, so 99 laying heads, nobody needs that many chickens, really. Okay. That's a lot. So yeah, find the loophole is what I'm taking away from this. Story. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Yeah. Nobody needs an AR either. Ian doesn't stop yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> Who are you to know what my needs are? Exactly. Hold on. Hold on. Are there assault chickens? Uh, well, there's yeah, there's apparently they fight each other. Yeah, emotional support chickens. Yeah. I mean, there you I, go. I, I have an emotional support <laughs> AR-15. There you go. Okay. There you go. Can I can I sidebar on that real quick? Yeah. Um, I need I need an opinion. We discussed on the uh, on the, the liquor production show that um, yeast is a living organism, right? Right. It's a bacteria. Yeah. It's a bacteria. Mm-hmm. So if it's a living organism, could I then claim beer as an emotional support animal? Oh, well, you're killing the wow. yeast to make beer. 
but maybe there's some sounds like a good sacrifice to me. Just you know, just food for thought. I don't know. Think about it. We can talk about it later. Well, I had a discussion with Colin last episode actually about whether or not emotional support chickens were a thing, and judging by how much this one moves and how much it likes to cuddle, there actually are. are PR birds like emotional support chickens out there. Like oh, it, yeah. it actually can be a thing because uh, especially old people love cuddling chickens because it reminds them when they were on the farm as a kid. Hmm. And this one will yeah. sit here all all show and won't do won't move. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I guess assuming that it's okay in your, you know, your local town ordinance. Um, next thing, chickens are going to need food and water daily, and also eggs need to be collected daily. So think about vacations, or if you're somebody that travels a lot for work, maybe they're not the best uh, livestock to bring on. Um, I would say they can be left for up to a weekend as long as you've got large enough waters and feeders, um, and you've got a good shelter for them to roost in every night. Um, I guess Ian, maybe you can speak to that. Uh, are you able to get away from your birds, or do you have somebody lined up? Uh, yeah, we actually. Well, yeah, we have one of the girls from 4-H. Actually, uh, if need be, we have a farm sitter, and okay. she, yep. she knows to make sure they're closed at night. But we also have automatic doors that open and close for some of the coops. There you um, go. And so you know, we just set it by the clock, and it just opens and closes the doors so that the predators can't get in there at night. But uh, yeah, if if need be, the uh, if it's a longer term thing, then the uh, the farm sitter shows up. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, that's definitely something to think about. Um, Next thing, chickens are going to cost money. They are fairly affordable, but they are going to cost something, so make sure you've got money left for that. Um, just quick breakdown. So your shelter, uh, depending on how thrifty you are or how much you want to spend, it can be free to thousands of dollars. You're looking at uh, 10 to $40 for a feeder, 10 to 40 for a water, and depending on how many birds you need, you may, may need multiple of that. Um, rough estimate cost of birds, probably 3 to $6 each, depending on the breed and age. And then your feed cost, I'm finding about 10 to $20 uh, for a 50-pound bag. And then consumption is going to vary wildly based on um, kind of what setup you have and everything else. But uh, I guess just at a minimum, even if you build your own shelter and you're really thrif- thrifty, you're going to need $100 to get started. And uh, you're going to have monthly feed costs as well as uh, electricity costs to run lights or water heaters if you do live in the cold climate. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're not gonna. You can't get into chickens to make money. Like you're not gonna make money. The best you can absolutely hope for is, not. Yeah, the best you know for is a break-even thing, yeah. or at least cheap eggs for yourself. But you gotta remember a lot of that. Feed exactly. Cost, the feed cost will get offset by egg sales too, right? Exactly. Yep. And that's the best thing to do. Um, you know, keep your excess eggs. Find neighbors to sell them to a uh, family, whoever you can. And yeah, exactly. That's gonna that's gonna offset your cost. And basically, you're after just free eggs for yourself or free meat for yourself. And then whatever you profit is is going to pay for your input costs. Hmm. So, um, and then still a question: when you, when the 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 laying hens are done laying, are they mm-hmm. do they then become meat birds? Well, by the time they finish <laughs> laying, they're actually kind of well. We call them spent hens, right? Because they go through henopause mm-hmm. and they stop laying, and uh, literally stop stop producing eggs. So, yeah. um, in the factory world, like they actually get turned into dog food or like chicken meal or whatever um stuff that humans wouldn't consume because it's kind of stuff tough and stringy meat but mm-hmm. generally you can actually pressure cook them like if you have like an instapot or something like that and you can just supposed to turn them into like a uh, soup bird or something like that but honestly not very good eating at that point because they're probably a few years old yeah. and most of the birds you're, they're not worth your time to process yeah in my opinion most yeah. of the birds you're <laughs> eating are like 36 days old type of thing mm-hmm. all right yeah so, so then what do you do with it? You turn it into dog food is what it sounds like. 
Well, for us, we, uh, but usually if you haven't lost a pre- to predation or they haven't had a heart attack or whatever by, by the time they stop laying, I think mm-hmm. we've got like three or four we actually just keep around as mascots because they're like seven or eight years old at that point. You know, they've earned their place. They can just yep. hang out for a while. But um, yep. yeah, no, it's uh, as general rule, you can't eat the sped hens because they're just too old. Yeah. Okay. So then, but yep. when those hens expire, like you just have to find something to do with the carcass? Uh, yeah, I just bury them or uh, you can, uh, yeah. Whatever you want to do with them, I suppose. But turn them, into, uh, turn them into dog food if that's yeah. Turn them into local dog food. If you want to process them out at home and just feed, uh, you know, cook them up and then feed them to your dogs, that's fine too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there's no waste required. Like you don't have to waste the meat at all. Okay. So yeah, and you can put an ad. There are people that will come and take them. Um, that's what we we did in the past too. There's oftentimes uh, uh, the Mongs or Asians would come and they they take them and they process them down and use them a lot more than we ever could. So. Oh, something we did in the past. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads uh, good into my final point. So anytime you're raising livestock, you're eventually going to have to deal with the death of that animal, uh, especially with chickens, which have a pretty high mortality rate. Um, I would a say, rate. yeah, probably 25%. So I would say if you get, <laughs> if you get six birds, um, there's going to be probably two of them dead within a year. Well, maybe not. If you've got good conditions, not so bad. But um, just realize that you're going to have to face that. So if you're not somebody who's good at dealing with that, then maybe they're not for you. Um, chickens, just like every other animal, they're going to get sick or injured, and the time may come where it's more humane to end the animal's suffering. So whether you decide to take matters into your own hands or rush that $3 chicken to the vet, uh, just know that you're going to have to face these decisions at some point. So think about it ahead of time. <clears throat> yeah, we, we, yeah, that's a pretty, that's a pretty uh, slanted uh, discussion. <laughs> well, no, it's true. Cause, like, we have There's a, no better way to put it, though. Yeah, what, what yeah, else a good way of putting it. Huh? Yeah, like we have, a, we have a vet friend, and she's, she just laughs because we ask her a couple of questions, and she's actually like over the phone kind of giving me you know, advice on what to do with certain aspects. Like if they got their egg bound, like an egg is stuck and can't get out type of thing, and how you deal with that sometimes. And uh, finally, she's like, at the end of the day, it's a twenty dollar chicken. Like you can, I'm, I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like she's going to sit there and do like a three or four hundred dollar uh, procedure on a chicken. So um, if, exactly. If if the the egg does get stuck, do you just like blow into their beaks really hard and pop it out? <laughs> just scare it. Fire up the air ah! compressor. <laughs> yeah. No, there there is there's things to do, but we you know if people really want to know it. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> that, sounds like, that sounds like more of an off-the-air discussion. All yeah, right. it's, it's more of a paywall thing. Okay. <laughs> so uh, after taking those things into consideration, if you've decided that chickens are still compatible for you, um, the first thing to decide is kind of what end product are you after and how much of it do you want. So with chickens, you're, you kind of got two main things. You're either going to get eggs or you're going to get meat. Uh, I guess we kind of touched on the companion aspect of it, which is which is certainly an aspect to to take note of as well but um you're either going to go for eggs or meat and the breeds are very specific to those those two categories as well um so i guess after you determine whether you want eggs meat the next thing is going to be to determine the breed and then the number of chickens uh, that you're going to need to buy to fulfill your expectations so if you want 20 eggs a week um you need to know that before you go out and buy your birds so um, when you're deciding um when you're comparing your 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 space to your chickens. Can you have meat birds and egg birds in the same coop? 
Uh, you're going to generally keep them separate. At least from my experience, that's what we did. Maybe Ian knows more than I do. Yeah, it's a different type of feed. You're feeding uh, meat birds because you want them to pack mm-hmm. on the beef and not much else. And then you, you know they're going to be dead in, you know, like basically months, right? So exactly. you don't have to worry about their long-term health. You just basically wanted to pack on the protein and, and get the calories into them so they, they put the most meat on. Whereas the laying birds need a specific protein percentage. They need, uh, you know, obviously like... Um, uh, vitamins and supplements and everything else to get them all up into a very healthy state. And generally, most meat birds are, are male. Um, so mm-hmm. as they come of age, you don't want them around a bunch of laying hens because they'll just destroy them. So Right. Yeah, so there's uh, hundreds of breeds to, choo- breeds to choose from. It's hard to narrow it down. Um, if you're a, a newbie or beginner, stick to the tried and true breeds. These are going to be hardier and they're going to have a better temperament. And they're still going to provide really strong yields. Um, so talk to your local feed store or supply stores like Tractor Supply um, or online. Uh, McMurray Hatchery is, and I've got the link in the notes here. That's where we used to order chickens growing up. Um, and you can just order them online and have them shipped right to your door. So that's working pretty well. Door, that's handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Canada Post actually handles chickens, like day-old chickens. Yep. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I seem to remember a time when you could ship chicks for free so they would send they, there was a time you could uh um you could mail children that way by calling them chickens yeah it was a long time ago obviously but i remember, yeah. I remember reading about that when i was younger oh and bane iron hand you're totally right this actually this is not a true chicken this is a triple with the beak indeed uh actually her little well one of her relatives was we actually called her tribbles because that's kind of what they look like they're just they don't do much but they like to sit on eggs We've got a good comment here in the in the live chat as well. If, yeah. uh, if you have livestock, you're going to have dead stock. <laughs> Sooner or later. Uh, that's I an like even it. better way to put it. <laughs> yeah. All livestock becomes dead stock. What I forget who's, who I read it. Somewhere, somebody said one time that life is a sexually transmitted uh, fatal disease. Yep. <laughs> it's 100% uh, mortality. Yep, 100% mortality rate. Um, yeah. I'm actually I'm, I'm kind of scrolling this... Uh, McMurray Hatchery website. This is pretty cool. I yeah, had no they've got it laid out really well, too. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in Canada as well. There's one called Bo Peep locally here in Chilliwack that you can you know, order specific breeds from. Um, once you get into kind of into the, the chicken world, yeah, you can see a bunch of breeders that will sell you specific breeds. Hmm. There's actually like phone books for chicken breeders in Canada as well, like the, if you're after a specific breeds. So. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, all the breeds are going to kind of fall into four categories. You've got your egg layers, you've got your meat birds, dual-purpose breeds, and then your heritage breeds. And the names kind of all imply egg layers. Uh, They're hens that have been bred to produce large quantities of eggs through their relatively short production lifetimes. So they're usually going to lay eggs for about three years. Uh, It's going to vary depending on the breed. Um, My recommendations for egg layers, this is just what I raised and had really good success with, are Rhode Island Reds, and those are going to give you uh, pretty large brown eggs or just your traditional white leghorns, which give you white legs. Um, Both are hardy breeds that fare well in colder climates, and they raise well in both confinement or kind of like a free range or a chicken tractor setup. And uh, they're going to produce about 280 to 300 eggs per year. Um, and I guess uh, another bonus with the Rhode Island Reds are, are somewhat considered a dual-purpose breed because they do have a, a meaty enough carcass to where it is worth uh, maybe processing those birds, especially for like a stew or a soup after they're done laying. Do yeah, the leghorns have... all have southern accents? I say, I say, <laughs> boy. <laughs> but 
Yeah, there's actually a uh, breed in Canada called the Highline Brown, which is the equivalent of a GMO chicken. It's not quite, but anyways. Uh, okay. And they're, they're specifically designed to machine get out the eggs as fast as they can and then die a, uh, have a heart attack like at the end of two years. Oh, wow, they, there you go. They just are crazy uh, egg producers, but that's all they're good for because they're super skinny. And um, yeah, they don't, they, they don't even like to sit on eggs. They just like to, to hatch or to lay them and that's it. Yeah. So uh, with the egg layers, you've also got your meat birds, uh, same thing. These are bred to grow very, very quickly. Uh, they put on weight at an alarming rate. Uh, a lot of times they'll even grow so fast that they break their own legs. So that is a, kind of a true myth, at least that I've experienced. Um, yep. They're usually ready for slaughter between about 6 and 10 weeks. Cornish cross, often called broilers, are, are the most popular. And these are going to give you probably your highest yield and your most efficient meat production. And you're looking at upwards of 8 to 10 pounds live weight per bird. So that's after just about 8 to 10 weeks. So what, uh, so in the chicken that you've got in your lap there, how how big is that just for comparison? This is only about 2 pounds. Um, okay. And this is this bird is basically meant for PR work, like basically like a, you know an emotional support thing. Uh, they, they wouldn't survive two seconds in the wild because they're feather blind. Their feathers cover their eyes. They can't really see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they are really good for is hatching eggs. So if you shove a, an egg from another chicken underneath them, they'll happily sit there for the three weeks required and hatch them out and be quite thrilled with it. Um, huh. So that's where they really come into their own. So that so like an eight to ten pound bird. It's like that. It's a big chicken. Oh, you'll see one in there in about twenty minutes. I'll bring the big chicken out. But uh, yeah, they're yeah. like a freaking basketball. I'm telling that's you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like for example, like the eggs you get from these ones here. So this is her egg. And this is my olive drab camel green egg that we've uh, we've bred into a different breed, but uh, we can see the size difference, right? And ostrich oh. egg, like, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, this thing you can you need about two or three of them to equal one normal egg, but mm-hmm. um, they they do lay pretty consistently as well. But they also just like to sit on them and, and hatch more birds. Hmm. And that was going to be another question: like, can you do you always buy new birds, or can you breed your own and? Well, you can breed your own, but then of course you have to worry about inbreeding, much like the royal family. Yeah. So you have to actually bring in new, <laughs> new breeding stock now and then, just like the royal family. And then, so uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So if you don't bring in new, new, new bloodlines after about four or five generations, you start to have inbreeding problems, and because uh, you can actually have like you know vertical family trees and chickens, but not for very long before you have problems. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can certainly hatch out as many as you want, like. Uh, you know. So you could you could grow your flock and then trade chickens with another farmer and absolutely yep. okay yeah so we have like a Heinz fifty seven flock for that specific purpose and they're like the large genetic diversity and then we also have a show line that's like all black Australorp chickens that are like uh, designed for for specific traits for the breed um, but for example like this one here actually uh, they have black meat like it's dark dark blue anyway so it's a little off putting to eat. Um, when you're like looking at a, it's almost like ptarmigans are dark purple meat. These are mm-hmm. like, like almost black. Hmm. Yeah, does it taste weird. the same? Yeah, it does. It's yeah. actually, uh, it was like considered a delicacy in, in, uh, ancient China. That's where these ones come from. And, huh. um, yeah, but not much to so them either. That's kind of one of the good times when you actually want it to taste like chicken. That's right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I guess besides picking out the breed, uh, you've also got to determine which age you want to purchase your birds at. Uh, you've got kind of four options. You can get hatching eggs, you can get chicks, you can get pullets, or you can get uh, adult chickens. So hatching eggs are just that. They're going to be fertilized eggs that you're going to need to either incubate or have, uh, like Ian's got their little silky or something to uh, incubate them for you. Um, 
chicks are going to be the most uh, kind of the most common, most affordable, and probably the best choice for beginners. Uh, you can easily select what breeds you want and when you want to get them, uh, or when they're going to hatch, I should say. Um, you typically get chicks at just a few days old and raise them under a heat lamp until they begin to lay eggs. Uh, so this process is called brooding. Uh, you can also get pullets, which are birds that are going to be aged for like four to six months. Uh, kind of depends on the breed again. Um, this is probably the easiest, but it's going to be your most expensive route because obviously the breeder is going to have to raise those chickens up to that point. But uh, these have been raised from hatching and are usually sold at the point of lay, which means they're just uh, about to lay their first egg anytime soon. Um, and then finally, you can get adult chickens. Uh, these are going to be what you find probably on Craigslist or uh, you know, in the local paper or whatever, people moving or getting rid of their chickens. Um, so just keep in mind the, the breed's production lifetime. So if the chicken's four years old, uh, it's probably not laying eggs anymore. So that's maybe why they're free. Um, yeah, so like uh, pullets are generally uh, females that have not started to lay yet. And just like cockerels are young male chickens. And of course, later on, they're called cocks, but we'll get into that later mm -hmm. on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and yeah, go ahead. so a fertilized egg, it's it has to transport to you somehow. What's the what's the incubation time? Twenty one days for chickens. Days. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. um, and because I grew up in the city and I don't know these things, um, chicken lays an egg. Do you have to like remove it promptly? Like, what's the? It won't start uh, developing into a chick chick until it's been under basically moisture and heat for about two days. Uh, okay. but, but yeah, that's why you want to remove them as often as you can because you want to have like a little you know starting of development. It'll just look like a, uh, a yeah. bloodshot it's eye when it right. first starts to develop. Uh, it won't be like a miniature baby chick you won't see right away, but it'll just be like it almost looks like a, a right. veiny eyeball, um, mm -hmm. and that's it. But okay. uh, yeah, so that's why you want to remove the eggs every day. It's also just good for the chickens as well. They don't want to attract mm -hmm. flies or anything else that they have sitting. They're sitting on eggs that go sour or whatever too, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a couple other considerations uh, for when you're picking out your birds is, uh, I guess, the biggest one's probably going to be your noise level. Um, roosters are obviously loud, so if you want to be hatching eggs, you're probably not going to be able to to have a rooster. You're going to be having to buy your own uh, ink or uh, fertilized eggs that way because uh, roosters are loud, and also certain breeds are very noisy. Um, and, and roosters yeah. don't lay eggs, right? <laughs> <laughs> roosters do not. <laughs> like my daughter's teacher discovered, roosters do not lay eggs. Roosters don't lay eggs. Just the hens. Yeah, maybe I should have started with that. <laughs> so it's not the roosters. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> and and a rooster is required to inseminate those eggs and make them hatchable, or all eggs are hatchable if you leave them long enough. Well, we'll show you in a second here. It looks like we're just bringing the rooster right now. Oh, okay. So this is where we put the paywall up. Yeah, put the paywall up. <laughs> so if you'd like so to help support the show. So this is a dual-purpose heritage breed called an Ostvarp, and this is how big they get. Much larger yeah, than there's the Silky. a big old boy. Yeah, and so, uh, but yeah, so he's good for meat and eggs. Uh, but of course, being a male, he's only good for the meat. Uh, but yeah, you need these guys to make fertilized eggs, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's how big these guys get compared to the Silky you just saw, which is noticeably smaller, right? Yeah, so yep. that's that's a, a what a, an eight pound bird you said approximately. Yeah, how would you say Biggie is? Oh, he's probably yeah, about eight pounds. Eight pounds, okay. Yeah, and uh, like I said, because they're hand raised, they're not nearly as nasty as you would think, right? They're not turning around attacking, and they're very docile breed too. So they're mm -hmm. they just like to hang out as well. Okay, but you do need you do need the rooster and the hen to get together in order to get to to produce a fertilized egg. Is that yeah? Correct? So the rooster basically has to hop on the hen, and uh, they don't have actually. Uh, a 
male oh a male attachment like you would think they have a basically just a vent and they touch vents with a female and uh, once they've actually mated with the female they are actually uh, the female can retain the sperm for up to 30 days depending on the breed and they will produce fertilized eggs for the next 30 days without oh, touching okay. a male again hmm. so they actually they can store the sperm and uh, keep the eggs fertilized for quite a while interesting mm-hmm. And one rooster will service usually about 10 hens. Is that correct, Ian? Yeah, anywhere from like minimum, absolute minimum six to one ratio, but in reality, you want 10 to one. Stand by one, yeah. guys. Okay, well, that's, um, okay. So that's, there we go. I, I've learned how that process works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the breed of chicken you choose, as well as the number of birds you plan to get, is going to have a, a pretty big impact on which type of shelter setup is going to best suit your needs. And that's kind of the next step is to determine which, you know, what setup do you want to go with? Uh, you kind of got three options. You can do uh, a free range with a hen house that they can roost in at night. Um, you've got a chicken coop uh, with a fenced run. That would be like a permanent chicken coop with a fenced run. And then uh, a movable chicken tractor. So uh, free range with the hen house. Uh, this is just where your birds are kind of left to roam your property freely at will. Uh, they usually have a designated hen house. Um, this is going to provide shelter and a place for the birds to roost at night and also where you can offer them supplemental feed and water and it's hopefully going to be where they lay eggs um so it's easy for you to collect them so um will they go back go, to the the house like the, the hen house by themselves or do you need to round them up and shoot them in after they yeah, uh, so, after they got used to where they live like or, or you know leave them locked mm-hmm. in the the coop area for a few days they've realized that's where their house is and so after that you can literally let them free range and by sundown every night they're back in the coop okay yep Birds will always come back to roost at night as long as they know where to go. So, yeah, a couple days locked in, and uh, they learn that. So, A um, couple pros of the free-range setup. Uh, lower upfront cost for infrastructure. You don't have fencing. You don't need a big, complicated coop. Uh, you could literally get by with probably a little doghouse if you wanted to just try a couple chickens. Um, uh, probably usually considered best in terms of animal comfort, happiness. I don't know. I think that's debatable. Predators are going to rip them apart in just a couple days anyways. But uh, they're fun to raise that way and uh, relatively low time commitment. And they're comfortable. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. Well, yeah, exactly. The thing is, they also get a variety of diet then, right? So instead of just getting chicken feed, they're also getting earthworms and bugs right. and mosquitoes and everything else. So they can actually go out and figure out what they actually want to eat, uh, which is a good Absolutely. thing. And yep. they can go get little rocks mm-hmm. for their, their crops. They can actually digest their food properly and stuff, which is really good. Uh, but like you're right, they, there is everything's trying to eat your chickens, right? So that is a problem too, but that's where the roosters come in as well, because not only are they good for, you know, putting out as required, uh, they also can keep uh, some predators at bay. Like, so we have one rooster that's very good at keeping the hawks away and they, they spend a lot of the day just doing lookout for the females. And so wait, out. you have a chicken hawk. We do have a chicken hawk actually. Yeah. <laughs> but he's not very tiny. He's actually quite large. Okay. Um, and, and does, does he go along with the foghorn leghorns and, Speaking well, of southern accent. He tries to knock them over the head, then drag them back to his... No. Yeah. No, uh, actually, it's <laughs> funny. Yeah, the roosters who are very good at keeping the, the females safe, and they'll actually, uh, uh, you know, they'll go as far as sacrificing their own life to to save the females. So That's swallow them. Another mm-hmm. reason to have the males around. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I think, I I think I'm done with the, with the foghorn leghorn jokes. I, th- I think I am. <laughs> no, keep them coming. <laughs> Uh, another con with the free range is uh, you're going to find that the hens don't uh, don't always lay eggs back in the hen house, and you're going to find them all over the yard, so you're wasting eggs. Um, next setup is kind of your chicken coop, uh, your permanent chicken coop with a fenced run. 
So this is going to be like a stationary coop with uh, an affixed fenced-in area. A lot of times it's fully enclosed, and oftentimes that fence is even buried into the ground. Uh, like Ian touched on, predators are kind of always looking to get get your birds. So um, having an adequate uh, shelter or a chicken coop and fence to keep them out is um, paramount. Um, and that's kind of where the chicken coop and the fence run shines. It's probably the safest against predators. Um, you can lock your birds in every night. So you're going to have a lot less death. And then uh, it's easier to monitor your health, the health of your birds, and administer care if necessary. Um, you've got a little more direct control over the means of production. So you're controlling exactly what they eat, what they drink, any supplements, that kind of thing. And uh, oftentimes this can lead to better yields um, in terms of egg production and meat production. Well, so it's a higher, uh, you know, I guess, payback on the feed you give them because if they're spending less time trying to keep warm, they're exactly. going to be able to put on more meat. Um, yep. So, yeah, if you're especially for meat birds, you want them to move as little as possible, eat as much as possible, and stay as warm as possible. That's exactly yep. how I got to where I am today. <laughs> See? And you can't put chickens on keto just before they, they get slaughtered. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but you did you did mention earthworms and mosquitoes and stuff. So are chickens omnivorous? Are they carnivorous? Are they... They are pigs with feathers. So okay. they will... They're yeah, oppor- opportunistic feeders is the actual term. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they're omnivores. Yeah. So, I mean, you could, they'll eat anything up to and including cooked chicken carcass and I'm, I'm not kidding like they they need the calcium to lay as many eggs as they do so mm-hmm. they you, you can pretty much get rid of your green bin once you have a dog chickens and all well, the alpacas or whatever but yeah chickens especially they will eat almost anything okay so Absolutely. i just, just feed them feed them scraps and they'll that, that's good for them yeah there's yep. very few things mm-hmm. that chickens can eat i think one of them is being celery and a couple other minor things like that but other than that they're they're pretty much good to go and they're opportunistic so as long as i put like my scraps between my chicken coop and my garden they'll leave my my garden alone you're a funny guy no they are they're horrible for that because they like to aerate the soil looking for worms so they're sitting there uh, they'll mm-hmm. scratch away at the soil looking for all sorts of food and so they'll probably just destroy your garden unless you fence it up too okay. um and the, but the good news is if you have an anthill just plunk a couple of chickens down top of the anthill and the next oh, day yeah. it'll be flat as can be there'll be no ants left oh, fantastic yep. so i need a couple of chickens yeah that's what i was just to answer here um and so- so chickens obviously can, you know, if I, cause I'm planting a raised bed garden, they can jump up on the side of that bed and I, I still need to fence it off. That's yeah. They'll be able to hop up a good distance. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And even so, fly short distances as well. I'm not sure. I'm okay yeah. With that. I, I think- are you planning to use the chickens to aerate that area or are you planning to raise them as you're trying to grow crops in that raised bed? Well, I was planning to grow crops in the raised bed this year and then okay. add chickens next year. The nice thing okay. they're good for is they hate hills of any sort. So if you want to have perfectly flat land, um, you know, you put them in an old, like, used garden, like, after you clean everything out, and they'll aerate it for next year, which is kind of good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Other than that, you got to keep them fenced out. Okay. Well, I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to fence it off anyways because we have squirrels and deer and rabbits around here anyways. But, um, okay, no, that's good to know. Yeah, so we kind of touched with uh, how harsh they are on, on the, the area in which you're grazing them. And that's kind of the biggest con with a chicken coop and a fenced run. Um, they're going to turn whatever fenced surf or whatever fenced area you have into the surface of Mars in a week. It's going to look like a crater-filled desert. Um, they forage and peck and dig at the ground like Ian talked about. Um, a couple other cons. Uh, it's more expensive up front. You're looking at building a coop, setting up fencing. It's all going to cost money. Um, potentially a larger time commitment as the confinement of birds now means that you're going to be cleaning their manure, 
Um, you're going to be providing a larger percentage of their food and water and, you know, locking the birds in and out every morning and night if that's what you want to do. And then also maintenance on said infrastructure. Uh, and then your final option is kind of a movable chicken tractor. This is uh, getting to be probably the most popular nowadays. Um, and it's, it's basically a, a coop and run, except it's now portable. Uh, you can look on the internet for ideas. There's tons and tons of them out there or just get creative yourself. But uh, uh, the pros of this, uh, you're able to rotate the area that your birds forage. So you uh, prevent them from destroying all the vegetation in that one spot. And this is probably the, the most sustainable way to kind of get like a grass-fed, quote-unquote grass-fed end product. Um, so you could potentially maybe raise your birds all the way just on what they're able to forage off the ground this way. Um, obviously, that's going to depend on your climate. For most of you all in Canada and myself, that's not going to work for a good portion of the year. Uh, that's where kind of a chicken coop and a fence run takes the cake. Um, I guess with the chicken tractor, a couple things to think about. It's going to take time to move that around and set up, you know, depending on how you've got it set up. Maybe you got to set up uh, portable electric fencing every time you move the coop. So that's all going to take time. Um, chores are going to take you longer. You're going to be carrying your food and water all the way out to the chicken tractor. And uh, like I said, it's a lot of times not feasible if you live where it's really cold in the winter. Um, and then I've got a kind of a laundry list of things to consider for all these setups. Uh, the first thing you're going to need to provide is a water for them. Um, I found the, the nipple style waters to be the cleanest. Um, the gravity feed, you'll see like the big galvanized kind of gravity feed ones. Those work pretty good, but they get dirty as well. Uh, just throwing a bowl or a dish or a bucket in there is not going to work. They are going to make a mess of that. Um, Feeders, same kind of deal. Gravity style works pretty good, but they do spill a lot out of those. Um, I found that just the PVC pipe, like a three to four inch round PVC pipe uh, with a slit cut down the middle or holes drilled in it, and then just finding a way to keep that propped up, that works pretty good. Um, and maybe you get it, you know, get it six inches off the ground so they're not constantly crapping all over it. Uh, that's going to be your biggest thing with feed and water is keeping it all elevated so they're, they're not constantly going in it. Um, another consideration is nesting boxes. Uh, you're going to probably need one box per three to four birds, but I'll tell you if you've got 40 chickens, they're all going to lay in two boxes. That's just how it always goes. Yeah, they get really particular uh -huh. about where they want to lay too. They don't really change their mind anytime soon. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, I found that melt crates, uh, we lined them with poly sheeting and then you can just dump them right out. That works really good. Otherwise, build your own plywood structure um, or get creative with buckets or anything like that. Just make them easy to clean because you are going to want to clean these out uh, pretty frequently, I'd say, at least once a week. Um, okay. Next thing to talk about is bedding. So, uh, nesting boxes, yep. they're, they're going, like, you're saying it's a milk crate lined with, like, a poly sheet. And mm -hmm. do you put anything Either. else in that? Um, yep. So that's kind of my next point is bedding. So you're going to, you're going to want to put bedding pretty much all in all the nesting boxes and then throughout the coop okay. um, on the floor of the coop. So sawdust and shavings work well, but they can be dusty. Uh, straw and hay works okay, but it does not do the best for absorbing. So usually uh, I found either a combination of hay and straw or hay or straw on top of sawdust or shavings works really well. Um, otherwise get yourself a paper shredder. Shredded paper works really good too. You also um, want to change it out, too, because if you don't uh, change out your bedding often enough, you'll get uh, a lot of mites, which is a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ma major, uh, I guess, pests for chickens is some of, there's two, two versions of mites in Canada. And, um, yeah, basically they can suck away the blood of the chicken. They can reduce the laying ability. They can even cause mm -hmm. death down uh, long term. It would, so. probably, it would probably start to smell pretty bad pretty soon, too, eh? 
Yeah, yeah. some people yeah. like to do what they call deep bedding, where they actually don't clean a chicken coop for months on end, and it's insane as far as I'm concerned. But uh, like we clean ours daily, uh, just because yeah. you want to have the ammonia smell, and um, it, it's all what you put into it, right? It's what you get out of it. Exactly. Yeah, it, and it's all too. really specific to your setup. If you've got two chickens in a ten by twenty coop. Well, you don't have to clean it every day or every week. Um, so it all kind of depends on your circumstances. You can just kind of top dress bedding if you don't have time to clean it. Uh, that can buy you a little bit of time or at least help. But yeah, definitely uh, keeping your animals area, living area clean is really important. So um, we talked about roosting. So within the coop uh, or within your chicken tractor, you're going to want a place for the birds to roost. And that's going to be where they kind of sit. Um, two by f two by four is just kind of on end, screwed into like a, a stair-like structure. Works pretty good. Um, just you know, think of like a rail or something for them to roost on or stand on. Um, I think you can get creative with just about any scrap wood you got laying around. Because they like to be off, off the ground at night. So off the ground. Okay. Yeah. Just, just yep. a, a platform for them to sit on and get up. Yeah. So the the nice thing with roosts is then when they go to the bathroom, it all falls to the ground. If you have a platform, now you've got multiple levels to clean, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where the roost is nice as all the waste goes, falls right to the ground. So you've got just that one floor to clean. A um, few other things to think about uh, when you're building your setup. Uh, accessibility to feeders, waters, nesting boxes. Make it easy on yourself. Make it easy to get in and, and you know fill those waters, feeders up especially if you're going large scale, um, make it easy on yourself. So you're not spending tons of time out there every morning. That's uh, where couple, the, yeah, rain, rainwater collection comes in as well, right? Yeah. That's the sweet way to do it. <laughs> um, a large stock tank or a water tank works great for brooding chicks. That's what I always use. Uh, and then just kind of hang a heat lamp across it. Um, think about feed storage, um, garbage cans with just a simple lid works really good. Um, you're going to need heat lamps and water heaters most likely. So, um, think about your proximity to power and also your, you know, how close is it to running water? Um, don't put your chickens a mile away from running water because you're going to hate carrying water out there all the time. Now, um, can you overcome the need for running water with a good, you know, rainwater collection system that gathers it off the roof and then a pump? Uh, if you live uh, in a well, wet enough climate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for us, I mean, it's never an issue. I mean, our summers are ludicrously dry, but during the winter, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's never an issue. We just got water there. But I don't use a pump. I just, you know, put a bucket in the rainwater collection and just fill the, the water as required. It's just uh, no mm -hmm. sense uh, depending on electricity, right? Yep, and then uh, a couple other things to think about is just uh, location of gates and entrances. I have found that you can never have too many gates when you're putting up fences. Um, is your coop accessible by truck or other equipment? You know, can you get your tractor, your skid loader up to the coop to clean it out? Can you drive your pickup up there and unload a couple 50 or 50 pound bags of feed? And then uh, know your property's low spots. Rain and mud are going to be your worst enemy, so stay away from those spots. So I guess now that we've kind of covered all of the housing requirements, the next thing to do is basically uh, set it all up, get your birds, and, and go after it. So... Um, I guess I kind of got just the three categories of raising birds. You've got brooding chicks and then raising your birds for meat or raising your birds for eggs. Um, so I guess brooding chicks, that's from that, that would be taking them from a hatch state to the point that they are uh, pretty much able to go walk around on their own. I guess, um, Ian, what do you typically find is the brooding time 
Does that vary a lot on breed? or? Yeah, it varies de- definitely by breed. Some of them grow super fast, some of them do not. These ones grow super slow. Um, but basically, yeah, we started off, if we were using the incubator, obviously we're, we're brooding them in the house for the first little while. We just used like a big, you know, long Sterilite container. Um, or I built one originally just out of wood with put some linoleum down the bottom. And you have the heat mm-hmm. lamp as well because um, then we transitioned over to just like a heating pad style that was a little more energy efficient. Um, okay. But it took up to about six weeks before they're ready to go outside. Yep. Uh, anyways, three to six weeks, depending on the sort of bird anyway. Uh, once they're outside, we put them into like a smaller coop that we keep a better eye on them. And then later on, uh, once they got used to being outside and other chickens saw them, uh, we'd put them in the coop uh, with the regular chickens and then they'd figure out the system pretty fast as far as where they're going to go. So Okay. So you said you used a heat pad. Does that work quite a bit better than the light? or? Absolutely. It burns about a tenth of the electricity as well. But oh, there's, nice. Uh, yeah, Brincy, the same maker as the, a lot of these incubators, they okay. make uh, these heating pads, which basically the equivalent of an LED, LED bulb. So it's like, I think, 13 watts or something versus you know the 200 of the, the heat lamp. Oh, wow. And um, so basically you just put it almost... A, the head level of the baby chicks and it just keeps them warm and they immediately as soon as they get in the, the coop they figure it out or the little little sterilite container oh, they go run in for it and they love it so it's like a hanging it still hangs like a lamp would then or yeah but it's like i said immediately over their head it's only like yeah, this power yeah. off so. okay yeah and i guess i just was going to make a note with the heat lamps if you are using a heat lamp you can kind of gauge whether it's uh, too close to the chicks too far away based on how they're huddled if you know if they're all huddled directly under the the most concentrated point of light then that means it's probably too far away. You move it down a little bit more. If they're all spread way out, then uh, then your heat lamp's probably too close, putting off too much heat. Um, and yeah, that's about all there is for brooding chickens. Uh, just have a small water. I, I guess how soon do you introduce them to uh, different types of feed right away, Ian? Or well, there's three levels of feed basically for us. There's like a, a crumble, which is just basically ground up, higher protein version of chicken feed. And then you go mm-hmm. to like the medium size, which are almost like half size pellets, and then a different protein content as well. And then when you get down to the laying uh, version of the food, it's like the full size pellets, which are maybe almost a centimeter or a third of an inch or something like that. And uh, yeah, then they're onto that for, for laying purposes. And we don't do okay. anything special for the roosters. Um, okay, so you start them on that crumble for maybe a couple or a few weeks? Oh, yeah, for then, quite a while because they're so small okay. and their crop is so small that they can't really do a uh, regular size food. Right. Yep. So that brooding process is going to be required for both uh, meat birds and egg bird or egg laying birds. Uh, like I said, depending at what age you get them, um, raising birds for meat is pretty easy. Once they're done brooding, uh, you just feed water and you're going to be cleaning a lot. Uh, like I said, for about eight or ten weeks until they're ready to butcher, and that's about it. They're they're really easy to take care of. Um, I guess do we want to talk about butchering at all or processing? Well, we actually did, uh, I think we mentioned it before on a previous episode, but yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh, I, can, I can cover that later on if you want. Okay, yeah, and I guess uh, the last point I had was just uh, kind of raising birds uh, for eggs. Um, same thing, you're just going to need to feed water and collect eggs daily. Uh, the birds are going to lay for about two to three years before they, they need to be rotated out, like we talked about the spent hens. Um, what worked well for us, we would purchase uh, smaller batches, usually like, like what I plan to do is I'll probably buy, you know, 20 or so right off this year. And then now next year I'll go ahead and buy like another six or 12. And then I'll, I'll mark, mark those with a different colored band each year. And then I know, okay, I bought that red banded bird in 2019. Uh, okay, it's 2022. That thing's done laying eggs because you're not going to be able to tell the difference really between a two, two-year-old bird and a three-year-old bird. And if you're just raising them all in a big coop, um, you kind of need to keep track of that. The only way to tell really is if you take you, uh 
turn the chicken upside down, you can actually measure the distance between their pelvic bones. And okay. uh, when they're not quite inlay, it's like a finger, and then it's it's two fingers between the pelvic bones. So when they're inlay, and then about three, they're pretty much spent. So okay. they start to look okay. really ragged too, of course, right? Yeah, that's a good way to do it. But I mean, um, we don't get rid of you just because you look ragged, Ethan. Well, <laughs> not yet, anyway. We've got a good question in the live chat here, which I think is pretty relevant to the podcast. Uh, can you feed them spare zombie parts? Ask. Yeah, of course. Asking. I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, like and then as long as you feed those eggs back to the bad guys. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Anyways. Uh, um, yeah, we talked about roosters. So you've, you've obviously got to have a rooster present to, I guess I shouldn't say obviously, you must have a rooster present to fertilize eggs um, and reproduce chickens. Uh, one rooster is good to service about 10 hens. Um, you can either sell extra eggs to pay for in input costs. Um, usually what we did was just refrigerate it after collecting them, uh, rinse and clean them off with warm water, um, before consuming or before we'd sell them off. Um, I know there's some ways to ter uh, preserve eggs longer term. Maybe Ian, you can speak to that or. Yeah, there's a few, uh, few things. We've actually still got that bucket full of eggs in the water with that uh, brine solution that uh, we call glassing eggs. It's still sitting in the closet. Okay. And we haven't pulled them out yet, but they've been in there for probably six months now, I think. And oh, wow. No smell yet. So uh, we're, we should probably check them anytime now. Uh, mineral oil, uh, if you actually use mineral oil to cover the entire egg, because this is, this is a uh, egg fresh from the chicken, so it's still got some dirt on it or whatever. It's what, yep. got, what you, got what you call a bloom on it, so it's actually good shelf-stable for about three weeks. Um, but as soon as you wash it, it's got to go in the fridge. But if you want to uh, get around that, you can wash them, and you cover it with light mineral oil. Uh, not the heavy stuff. The heavy stuff will make you poop. But the light mineral oil, you just cover it up there. It covers off the pores of the egg and prevents it from oxidizing or, or rotting. And it's good for another two months, somewhere around there. Um, but that's why you'll see most eggs in Europe are sitting in, in the open in grocery stores because they still have the bloom on them. They don't wash it mm -hmm. off. Um, nice. So, yeah, you can actually, you don't need refrigeration for eggs probably as fast as you can eat them if you really want. Mm. And yeah, question in the live chat here uh, yep. just in regards to uh, how do you keep roosters from beating up your hens well that's where the ratio comes into play if you have a small ratio like just like one rooster and two hens he's gonna just beat the living daylights so of the uh, chicken because what he has to do in order to mount them properly and then breed with them he has to basically get his his feet up on her the small of her back and smack away with his behind on her behind and in the meantime, he's, he's crushing her to the ground and everything else, and he's tearing feathers out and holding onto their heads sometimes. And obviously, the chickens aren't going to put up with that for very long before they're starting to get raggedy looking, right? So if you have one rooster taking care of 10 hens, then you can kind of pick on one at a time over the course of a few days, and it, it just tends to keep them in better shape. Okay. okay. So you could just, it would also make sense to just borrow a rooster from another farm if you had fewer hens. Yeah, uh, if you want to fertilize the eggs. Uh, of course, they'll still lay without a rooster, but actually if a rooster's around, they'll actually lay more eggs for any given breed because the rooster kind of puts them in the mood. And um, yeah, uh, by getting bred as well, they tend to uh, get the hormones going and they tend to lay more eggs if there's a rooster in the area. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, did you have anything else, sir? Do no, yeah, that, uh, that covers all my stuff. Do okay. all roosters make noise? Like, do, do all, all what? Do all roosters crow? Uh, yeah, some more than others. Like the male version of this one are extremely noisy. Right. Um, you saw the big black one there. He won't say a whole lot. I mean, he'll 
uh, crow at sunrise and maybe a couple times if he's looking for a hen, and that's about it. Uh, but some of them go all day long. It's kind of annoying. Right. Yeah. Research your breeds before you buy your chickens, yeah. I'm going to say. They, they, I think it varies wildly by the breed. At least that's what I found out raising them growing up because yeah. we did uh, we experimented quite a quite a few uh, different varieties, and that's what we found. So Yeah. So no, if you if you were gonna keep you know when you're when you're gonna keep water and um, water and feed on hand, do you would you keep? Does it make sense? Do you need like a fifty pound bag? Do you want five hundred pounds of feed? What's you know if if I had say ten ten birds, what could I expect? Of course, you said it's gonna depend on what I'm buying and like what kind of birds I have, mm-hmm. and what they're doing, but. Um, you know, if I had a mix of laying birds and um, meat birds, and you know, I said you know maybe had ten total, would I need fifty pounds of feed on hand? Would I need to be buying you know mm-hmm. hundred pounds a week of feed? What's the? Yeah, I guess it all depends on how cold your climate is. There's too many, a lot of variables in there, but I think as long as you had a couple of garbage cans full of feed. Um, and then just uh, fig- you can figure out your consumption fairly soon thereafter, and then it, you know whatever works for you, I guess. But if you don't put them in a uh, galvanized garbage can, you'll find that the mice and rats do find your feed fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Sure. I would say if you're raising ten egg-laying chickens, I would kind of take meat birds out of the equation because they're going to consume way more. Okay. Um, so let's say you just have ten like egg layers, or you know maybe a general dual-purpose breed, kind of like that. I would say a fifty-pound bag maybe last you two months. Okay. Um, if you're doing just like a coop with a run, um, like I said, they're going to strip that little fenced in area pretty quick of, of all the vegetation and all the bugs and stuff. So, um, also depends kinda, on, yeah, yeah. like you can do everything from like a worm bucket that feeds them extra protein. So they'll use less. Feed. Yeah. There's a uh, lot of ways to offset your, your feed costs. Um, but yeah, I would say, yeah, just to kind of give you a ballpark estimate, 50 pounds, uh, four to eight weeks, I would say is a good rule of thumb okay. for, for 10 egg layers. Yeah. Good baseline, anyways. Yeah, yeah, just to kind of give you an estimate. So, so I guess my background, uh, the only thing I did for chickens as a kid was we had meat birds, uh, and only for a couple seasons. Um, I think my total experience as a kid was being on head duty after they were chopping the heads off and having to collect them up in a bucket. So it wasn't um. exactly the world's greatest experience. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, we just you know got 100 chickens in the cardboard container, fed the living daylights out of them, processed them when they got big. So there wasn't a whole lot of chicken experience in our family until we moved to this place. And then we got uh, learned by trial and error and, and through 4-H as well. Like That's the local farm club. I've got a noisy dog here. To kick him over momentarily. Um, so yeah, we've learned there was be gone uh, just by trial and error for the most part because, I mean, we've learned about hawks uh, predating and raccoons and minks and everything else. They'll come and try and eat your chickens. Um, Why did we get into it? I mean, we talked about uh, on every other episode, it seems like cost savings, less reliance on the man, and, and just having peace of mind for a food supply. Mm-hmm. Stand by. Hopefully we can edit this out later on. Uh, you got to love it when the <laughs> animals take over the podcast for a minute. Uh, yeah, I think a comment in the live chat here uh, from a prepper standpoint, would an insect farm type for a long-term winter feed be a viable, a grain feed, mm-hmm. if not available is a problem in Canadian winter. Uh, do they eat hay or only green grass? Uh, they'll eat green grass. They'll try to pick some seeds out of the hay and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we should be looking for, we should be, you know, doing a, doing an insect farm as well. If we wanted to have a self-sustaining, self-sustaining system. I 
think you'd have to raise a lot of insects, but I'm not familiar with insect farms whatsoever. Um, I know, uh, I think growing fodder is very popular for, you know, your homegrown feeds. I'm not sure what else. Have, have you experimented with any of those, Ian, growing your own? Uh, no. The only thing we've done is the worm bucket, which was actually pretty successful. We, we had mm-hmm. like uh, some uh, salmon that was kind of gone off, so we just did the uh, holes of the bucket, put the salmon in there, flies took care of the rest, and maggots started dropping in the, uh, the chicken run, and they just loved it because every time a worm hit, they were on it. Mm-hmm. So, so you could again theoretically do that with all your with all your meat scraps and just continue like have a continuous feed if, as, until it gets cold, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they will eat grass, uh, not a whole lot, but there's like um, actually a, a plant called wormwood. You can actually uh, plant it and put some chicken wire around it so that the branches just stick through it. And that's actually a natural dewormer for the chickens, and they love it. Um, but they've eaten all sorts of various plants, that's for sure. Okay, but. Like I said, they're not vegans, unlike what A&W will tell you. <laughs> so, because they have vegetarian chickens, supposedly. <laughs> so, um, anyways, uh, cost savings. So, we, we actually worked it out on pencil and paper here using some rough numbers. We figured it was about 10 cents a dozen to create a dozen eggs with our setup. Oh, wow. Nice. But the problem is, is that, of course, in the meantime, we spent, you know, a thousand bucks getting the coop together and the equipment together and everything else. So, there is a payback, right? So, like... Right. We're charging our neighbors, you know, X amount of, per dozen, but yeah, it's because we're covering the cost of the setup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think the big thing for us is we're getting better quality eggs than you, what you get at Costco. Like if you crack these eggs open, the white of the egg is actually like almost like hair gel and the the actual yolk is very rounded. It's not flat and watery like you'd see the the, the factory version eggs. And that basically because what you're putting into it, you're putting, you know, good feed into it. They're getting actually... A variety to their diet and everything else so it makes for uh, a nicer egg as well as a cheaper mm-hmm. egg so yeah you'll definitely in a side by side you're going to notice a, a drastic difference in the color and the size of the yolk especially and the taste between the store bots yeah and the and the taste i would agree yep so yeah. there's, a, there's a person there's a, a person around here that i used to buy used to buy my eggs from and for a flat of eggs i paid you know which is two and a half dozen i paid um, sixty. I paid six dollars a flat, uh, which was delivered, which is actually a pretty damn good price by, by comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, based on Ian's thousand dollars to get started, uh, that works out to the first forty flats for sale, um, or that I'm not buying, are recovering costs, and everything after that is uh, either profit or um, free eggs, essentially, which is. Not a bad return on investment if uh, doing the math there, because I eat a lot of eggs, and so does my so does my, my growing family. So, mm-hmm. well, and the nice thing is too is that the the government generally doesn't care if you're selling eggs over the fence to your neighbor as long as you're not exceeding a certain amount. So right. you know, as long as you're not exceeding two thousand dollars in sales <clears> a year, you're not technically a farm or anything else, and you're not you know not exceeding that ninety nine chickens, so you don't have to exceed you know worry about exceeding the farm quota. So. Because it's self-packaged food, they don't really get too worried about you selling it and you know poisoning somebody or anything else. Right. And if you sell them, of course, your neighbor's eggs that have gone off, you're not going to be selling them to the, your neighbors for very long, right? This is true. Because <laughs> they won't buy anymore. So, um, yeah, another reason we got into this is, like, obviously, growing your own eggs, you're not subject to food scarcity um, as far as, you know, eggs not being available or grocery stores being closed. Uh, it's also nice knowing what goes into your eggs and meat, uh, mm-hmm. you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm-hmm. I think we talked and if about be part of the if it'll be part of the waste disposal life cycle, then that works out even better. Well, that actually comes into play with the alpacas as well because uh, 
the alpacas are around to keep the hawks away from the chickens. Uh, so because the hawks will not come in while the alpacas are around. And by the same token, when the alpacas poop out, the chickens root through the poop looking for um, parasites, for worms. Hmm. So they actually help keep the worms out of the alpacas. The alpacas keep the hawks away from them. It's kind of the symbiotic thing. Uh, works out really well. So it's, um, yeah, they're definitely a good companion animal. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned no green bin required. That's that's nice as well. Insect control is huge. Like our more so our ducks were uh, were anti grub, and uh, I think the flying ants that we had. But these guys will still take care of soil aeration, grubs, earthworms, anything else that they can find. Uh, fertilizer production. So I think Tyler you touched on it as well. But I mean, yeah. So they poop in the run. Uh, if you put it on your plants right away, it's going to burn your plants. But if you allow it to mellow and compost for about a year or so, you can still turn right around that throat on your plants and you'll get some really good fertilizer out of it. Mm-hmm. So you should take that. You should take the, uh, um, the straw and the sawdust and all that stuff that's been soiled, set it aside for a year, let it decompose a yep. little bit. And then <clears throat> rotate it every few weeks. Keep it wet. If it doesn't rain for a long time, yeah. yeah. Water it down and it'll be pretty nice black dirt. Uh, within a year. Yeah. If you're, if you're, you know, if you don't have too big of a pile and you're able to uh, rotate it regularly. And one of our uh, local uh, forestry guys, when they're cutting down trees, they tend to chip up a lot of uh, wood mulch. So you mix that chicken crap in with the wood mulch. And before you know it, yeah, you'd like to see a nice black soil. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm just looking on, uh, on Amazon and currently I'm looking at a, uh, uh, a chicken coop that is, Overall, 75 inches long, 31 inches wide, and 40 inches high. So like four foot by three foot by six foot, essentially. Um, for about 300 bucks, it looks like it includes the wire and all the stuff you need, like the, uh, the, the wire fencing. So mm-hmm. That's a fairly inexpensive way to get started with just a few chickens, it looks like. Yeah, it's only good for like two oh, or three yeah. chickens at that point, but still, yeah, it's a start. Oh. Yeah, but yeah. it'd be, you know, I, yep. I don't need, I don't need 50 chickens. No, exactly. Right. So, I mean, if mm-hmm. you, and at that point you just want three females, you don't want to have like one yeah. male with two I females stuck in a tiny friend. spot. Yeah. 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 You can get those little pre-assembled coops and you could get all set up to raise six chickens for $400 pretty easy. I would say yeah. um, probably even less than that. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. So whatever you, yeah. yeah, whatever you don't eat, of course, if you've got that uh, barter aspect, it comes into play. So, I mean, if you have a neighbor that uh, wants to trade you for something, whether it be like, you know, horse poop for your uh, extra extra horse poop for your garden or your compost pile in exchange for eggs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even in normal times, it still comes into play, right? I mean, mm-hmm. some uh, eggs for distilled water. <laughs> eggs for distilled water, like we talked yeah. about, or yeah, I mean, just and neighbors just like having something locally grown as well. Like if you have greeny neighbors that want that hundred mile diet or whatever, it's uh, plays sure. right into that as well. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think, Alan, the nice thing with the ones, I guess I'm not sure exactly what you're looking at, but if it's like the whole coop and the the fencing enclosure all kind of as one unit, um, I've looked at those myself even. I mean, how easy to throw a couple wheels and a handle on one end, and now you've got a chicken tractor that you can, you know, kind of pull your chickens all the way through the yard. It's, I mean, it's it's a fairly fairly compact unit, and then you can just move it around and... Exactly, yep. And yeah. yeah, if you've got a sizable backyard, that's that's probably the best way to get into it, in my opinion. Um, yeah, if you move it off enough, your lawn won't get destroyed either. So we actually mm-hmm. have one of those at the house here. I can send you a picture, Alan, and, and I'll show you what we use it for. Because they're also good for, for young chickens, like baby chickens, because it keeps them under under wraps. There's a roof over their head. 
they're you know get, they got the shelter. No, nothing's going to eat them. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What does Amazon not have? Oh, <laughs> well, who knows? For now, there might be a little short with the uh, supply chain issues. But hey, and that Amazon doesn't have N95 masks. Well, they do. They're about four hundred dollars a box. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, you mentioned a couple of good uh, local breeds for you, Tyler. We have actually a, a mm-hmm. Canadian-specific breed called a Chanticleer. Um, okay, it was uh, made in Quebec as well. But yeah, it's got fuzzy feet <clears throat> like a ptarmigan, so it's good for the colder weather as well. No, does it have fuzzy feet? I thought it did. Oh, it has a small comb, so it won't freeze. There you go. Oh, there you go. But we also have fuzzy-feeted chicken here that are good for cold weather. Um, our main one, like that big black one I just showed you, is called an Osterlorp. It's uh, dual purpose as well, good for meat and eggs. Uh, roughly 300 eggs per year per chicken, but uh, there is actually a record center that was way higher than that. Uh, we oh. mentioned these ones here. This is called a Silky, so it's good for hatching, uh, better than incubator. So the uh, success rate with the, a natural hatch is much higher than an incubator. Um, incubator, you can probably plan for about 50-50 for hatching eggs. So, you know, you throw in a couple dozen, you might get 12 chickens. These ones are up to about 80%. Is 95%. That there's, it, it's more direct contact, or is it... Is there well, that? yeah, because we have to, when you're in an incubator, you have to manage the uh, moisture, uh, you have to manage the temperature, um, and they don't get rolled around enough, basically, or rolled around mm-hmm. properly, whereas the uh, the female does the perfect job. She only runs out basically once a day to run out, eat, poop, and drink water, then run back on and, and sit on the eggs. And if the eggs get too hot, they, they spread their wings a bit. And if it gets too cold, they kind of hunker down and they manage to maintain a perfect temperature. Hmm. And um, yeah, nature does a better job. Mm-hmm. So other than that, uh, yeah, so you can plan with like a nostril orp or a, uh, the, one of those highline browns, like we mentioned those before, uh, six eggs per week for chicken. So, uh, but that doesn't include it if they're either hatching eggs, like like sitting on eggs to hatch them, or if they're molting. And molting means that they're basically changing out their feathers. And uh, so you can see, I don't know if you can see these here on the, the camera or not, see these little pin feather looking things? Uh, that's when she's actually growing new feathers. And she just finished her molt. And they uh, when they actually change out their feathers, they get this little shaft on them. And anyway, so they won't be uh, laying eggs while they do that. How often do they molt? Uh, molting is... Yeah, it is once a year. I th- once a year? Yeah. yeah, so... Should we have the actual expert on there, Ian? No, she's just... Oh. She just came in about five minutes ago. Hey! He said she did the actual expert on here. But anyways... But, uh, yeah, no, so it was good. Uh, like, when they are multi, you'll know, because it looks like they've got dreads, or not dreads, but kind of little hair things on them here. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Miss, should we take uh, care of those? Are we taking care of yeah, uh, myths. Uh, myths, yeah, oh, let's cover oh, up a few myths. Yeah. yeah, They tend not to chase people around just for fun, unless they really, really don't like you or something. But uh, no, we, as long as they're hand-raised, you won't have vicious chickens. <laughs> she's correcting me all the time now. She's this is breed- what I'm saying. We need the actual expert on here. Yeah. You want to come on here? No, she says no. Uh, yeah, she says breed-dependent. But yes, no, they, they, do, yes. They, they do all the personalities for sure. Um, yeah. Other than that, they're not vegans, like I said, like I'd like AW will tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, chicken coops do not have to smell, that's for sure. Uh, you can control the odor based on your own work inputs and your own efforts. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about this before, but uh, yeah, not all eggs are, are white and brown. So they come in a variety of colors. So like I said, uh, you know, normally you'd see the, the white or the brown color. Uh, some of them lay the blue eggs, olive drab camel green, which is my personal favorite. 
different sizes as well. And it's still um, just a white and yolk inside, right? Like it, it doesn't change the internal color. It just generally. Changes- well, the yolk is basically can change color based on what they're eating. Um, and I expect in the factory chickens, they can actually change the color of the yolk right to a, like a color scale. You can actually choose the color of yolks you want to have. And they can give you the proper feed to give you that color based on how you want to sell to a certain audience. It is wow. actually kind of mm. amazing. So you can actually pick from a palette of colors, but mm-hmm. uh, but generally it's just yeah, it's just a yolk and a white. But and uh, so in a in a commercial setting, they would be all fed the same thing so that the the product would be consistent. Is that about right? That is exactly right. So okay. the the producer chooses their color palette of yolk. And then every single egg from that producer comes out the same color, uh, generally the same size. And uh, eggs are sorted by weight uh, when it comes to you know large, medium, small eggs. When you see on the package size, uh, not necessarily size. Okay. So they're basically right down to the ounce per you know cost per ounce. Interesting. Okay. Um, I don't think I have anything else. I think I've I've you guys have answered all of my questions. Yeah. That was a, a lot of information. A lot of information. Let's go back and do this a few more times. Absolutely. I think we're going to have a chicken episode uh, version 2.0 for sure. Oh, we're going to have to. And yeah. that, I think on that one, we can talk about um, processing the chickens once we raise them. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge? Sure. Yeah, that sounds good. So we mentioned that even the city of Vancouver has gotten on board here that uh, they allow up to six chickens per household now. So uh, you should consider getting a few hens for your backyard uh, or roosters. If you don't like your neighbors, you know, <laughs> your, your call. Um, Dales are available. If you want to save the incubation and or uh, getting somebody else to raise your chickens for you, uh, barring that maybe a source of local, small local egg producer to get better eggs for cheaper while building your community and uh, basically getting a supply preference from that uh, neighbor. So if things are bad, nice. you might get the eggs first. All right. And if you do find a good source, you know, flip us an email at feedback at pepperpodcast.ca. Let us know uh, where that source is, if you're willing to share it, and maybe we can help everybody find uh, find somewhere to, to get some chickens and get started in this. Let's move into uh, some upcoming events. All right. So we got the Podcaster Charity Shoot hosted by Slamfire Radio. It's uh, July 4th, 2020 in Belmoral, New Brunswick, which is the Rest of Goose Gun Club. You can uh, find more information uh, on the link in the show notes. Your tickets, tickets will be available on Practice Score soon. You can register on Practice Score for free. And basically, it's just a link to uh, the buy tickets a little more easily. Awesome. We've got uh, the annual Preppers Meet coming up. It's the second week of July in Desborough, Ontario. So uh, keep your eyes and ears open. I'm sure tickets are going to come out soon. And uh, I'll have the website updated. Uh, it's uh, a good uh, weekend of uh, preparedness uh, seminars and information with uh, like-minded people. Uh, like I've said for a couple episodes now, you can sit around the campfire at the, uh, the end of the day and, of course, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And uh, then throughout the day, it's a lot of great instructors and, and great seminars and, and information to, uh, to take in and learn. And uh, it's always a good time. So keep your eyes out, and uh, tickets should be coming available soon. Groovy. Uh, coming up... Uh, sooner than that is Emergency Preparedness Week, which uh, is May 3rd to 9th, and we will have all sorts of uh, nerdy, fantastic content for that uh, that week's episode. Uh, and more details to follow on that. Yeah, we've got uh, TechCom Canada 2020. It's going to be September 11th through the 13th 
the Canadian Pro Gun Podcasters Network will be in attendance at TACCOM 2020. Your favorite podcasters will be on hand throughout the show. So to make sure to stop by the booth, uh, meet your favorites, and pick up some swag while you're there. We'll be um, there too. Yeah. Yep. You guys will be, maybe. <laughs> Unfortunately, I probably won't. <laughs> uh, you can see details for the show at the ticket link, uh, which will be in the show notes here. So You can also uh, check, you can grab that link on the website as well at prepperpodcast.ca. <clears throat> All right, let's move into some shout outs. So for myself, I got a quick shout out uh, to Toronto Brewing for uh, hooking me up with a few things to distill my water. It's very, very important. Yeah, you can check them out at uh, torontobrewing.ca. I uh, didn't get absolutely everything from them, but uh, a few things to add some flavor to the uh, distilled water. All right. Uh, mine is to the local mentor for teaching the wife how to operate and service the chainsaw. Nice. And uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to the couple listeners that sent in questions on the past few episodes. Uh, these are pretty fun to discuss and answer on the podcast. So I encourage everyone out there to please send in all your questions, um, no matter how specific or what topic they're on. And uh, give us your feedback, too. Um, we got a couple new reviews, so keep reviews coming in. Just to clarify. By Bane, we don't have snake issues in BC at all. Actually, we uh, the chickens either take care of them or <laughs> they just, they just uh, slither away in time. Good to know. Uh, any shout out, Alan? Um, I've I've got nothing specific. It's uh, it's been a, a week of just kind of putting my head down and working. So uh, all good. Um, ditto to all of those. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. All right, we'll move into iTunes and uh, email. So uh, for iTunes reviews, we've got uh, 44 five stars. We've got four four stars. Uh, two three stars. We've got a new one. One two star. Well, we'll take it. It's not a one star. <laughs> and we've still got that one little guy, uh, the one one star. So I think I think it's a nasty grab with a two star. So we, we're, uh, we've got them all covered now. We do. Yep, yeah. all the bases are covered. I like it. So. Thanks. They did everything to say <clears> with the two star review? Uh, no, apparently they were only able to uh, keyboard warrior their way to clicking the two star. Yeah, hmm. that's all right. It's fine. Not very constructive. Oh, hey, you know what? Yeah, whatever. At least now all the bases are covered, right? So when I look at the review <laughs> panel, every star is covered off. So it looks yeah. like we got a ton of stars. So I'll take it. Uh, anybody else on the panel have uh, any email or reviews or anything? I had nothing. No, unfortunately, no. All right. Well, the uh, yeah, the inbox has been empty for a little while, so. If you want to fire us in an, uh, an email at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, please do. We will, uh, it's okay to stay anonymous. You don't have to tell no, us who you are. You don't have to come on the show. Yeah. And tell us what we're tell us how we're doing and ask questions. And we love uh, we love having a good roundtable discussion. Actually, our next episode is um, is a is a, a topic that was uh, based on a question from yep. last email from, from last week's review, right, or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We so yeah. Yeah, so that's uh, we we love hearing about it. So if you've got something, um, kind of miss hearing from the uh, the Sasquatch hunters out there. Don't I know those guys were yeah. awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let, let us know what's going on. Um, and if you want to get a quick uh, a quick early peek at the shows, um, we do we do record these uh, live on Facebook and YouTube, and you can subscribe to our channels, uh, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Hit the notifications tablet so you know when where it's going. Uh, you can find us on the Facebook as on the Facebooks as well. Uh, search for Canadian Prepper Podcast. I think you're getting a little ahead. I did get a little bit ahead there. Um, I'm I was I was looking down further and forgot That's where. Right. We 
Sorry about that. So, uh, so now that Alan's jumped a little bit ahead, I will uh, bring episode number 56 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Uh, take a few minutes and submit a review. It helps other people find us. You can also find us at uh, prepperpodcast.ca and, of course, on Facebook. And as you've already heard, uh, we're on YouTube, and you can get an early peek at the show if you want. <laughs> well, a lot of stuff. That's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know where to find alan uh if you've got any questions or advice for me you can email me at tyler at prepperpodcast.ca all right you can reach ian directly by emailing me at the island retreat at gmail.com you can also find me on canadian patriot podcast also available on itunes and youtube where you can find us discussing more government waste squirreling off on the odd firearms related banter and exposing the daily loss of freedoms we're facing Right, and you can uh, find me at uh, rapidsurvival.com. You can get me there on the live chat, which is working again. Uh, a few people have mentioned it wasn't, so I've got that all sorted out. It works again. Uh, you can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us, and you can tune in for the next episode. We're going to be discussing 500 bucks and what you're going to use it to prep. So until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>